sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. One of the topics we keep coming back to because it continues to be a problem here in the United States is anti-Semitism. And here we are still kind of focused on a war in Ukraine, but you know the violence there, of course, is a concern to so many of us. But there's also violence that takes place right in our own cities and our own neighborhoods. I've invited Alan Ronkin as the director of the Washington, D.C. office of the American Jewish Committee. And apparently the, the D.C. Council recently passed a resolution dealing with anti-Semitism. Alan, thank you for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. Thank you, Alan. It's great to be here. So for starters, why don't you introduce to our listeners what the American Jewish Committee is all about, and then let's talk about the problem of anti-Semitism and uh, the D.C. resolution. Sure. So the American Jewish Committee is the oldest human relations organization in the United States. Uh, We were founded in 1906 in response to uh, pogroms, attacks on Jewish communities that were going on overseas. And since that time, have tried to uh, address the most pressing issues facing the community at any given moment. Sometimes those issues are parochial, they're specific to the Jewish community, and other times they're more universal. We're very engaged in the civil rights movement, we promote democracy and human rights around the world, but we're also very focused on fighting anti-Semitism, supporting Israel and its place in the world, and really, as I said, promoting democracy and, and human rights. So that's kind of us in our 30-second elevator speech. Well, and, you know, you mentioned the origins in dealing with the pogroms, which involved largely Russian attacks at that time. That was long before the whole German issue. And here we are again, some of the most gripping stories that I've read out of Ukraine uh, have to do with the Jewish community learning the lessons, if you will, from a prior age and saying, we're not going to stick around, we're out of here before they start coming for us. But, you know, the we've always thought of the United States as a much safer place, a refuge for Jews. And yet, as much as that is probably still the dominant narrative, there's another narrative. There's a narrative of hostility and violence. Talk about that for a minute. Well, you know, you're right. In many cases, for the last 70 plus years, uh, the United States has been, and I would argue continues to be, one of the best places to be born and live as a Jewish person. Uh, But over the last five to 10 years, I think we're beginning to see some of the older attitudes, biases, bigotries towards Jews emerging from out from under the rocks. And it's becoming more and more acceptable. Uh, to have not only violent attacks on Jews, but all kinds of attacks on Jews, uh, whether it's harassment or uh, social media, that kind of thing. Jews have been subjected to a lot of, uh, of discrimination and bigotry, which has in many cases, unfortunately, turned violent. Uh, there have been synagogues. Uh, many people are aware of the mass shooting in Pittsburgh, but there were shootings in Poway, California, in New York, in Jersey City. And last year, of course, when the the war between Israel and Hamas took place, 
uh, anti-Semitism in this country went off the scale. It was, you know, Jews were being dragged out of restaurants in Los Angeles and being beaten because they were Jewish. So it's uh, it's been a tough go. And organizations like the American Jewish Committee, you know, are deeply, deeply concerned. We've done survey research over the last few years that has shown some upwards of 90% of American Jews are very, very concerned that anti-Semitism is on the rise. And we asked a similar question to the general public. Only about 43% see that anti-Semitism is rising in this country. So there is a degree of uh, space there where people don't necessarily see eye to eye, uh, which means we have to tell the story, which means people have to get to know better what's going on in the Jewish community. I am surprised that the percentage of non-Jewish Americans who perceive this was as high as it was. I would have thought it might have been even lower. So, Well, it's interesting. I mean, we had one finding from the survey, which was which really stuck with me, that 41% of Americans, period, general public, have observed an anti-Semitic incident in the last year. Wow. Well, that would account for it. If you've actually seen it, right. then you would have reason to believe that it's a problem. Yep. Wow. See, I mean, I represent Jewish clients who suffer in the workplace, but not necessarily statistically any more than any other faith in terms of my clientele. And I don't know from the EEOC statistics that I'm not sure how they've changed in terms of the number of, of claims brought by Jews as opposed to people of other other faiths in terms of employment. But of course, you know, how people are treated in the workplace is um, uh, not representative of how people are treated in, in larger life, to be sure. Well, let's look at the FBI statistics, which are, by the way, terribly underreported if you ask the FBI. But according to the FBI in 2020, uh, Jews were the targets of 55% of all religious-based hate crimes in the United States. Now, we're only 2% of the population, and we have 55% of the hate crimes that are based on religion. The next group down, by the way, is Muslims, but they're only at 15%. So we're, we're ahead by 40 points, you know, to, to say well, in that way. But, you know, it's... What's the Muslim population relative to the Jewish population? I would think it's larger. It's, a, it's somewhat larger. Yeah, it's somewhat larger. I don't know the exact number. You know, if you had asked me this um, as a true-false or multiple-guess, you know, question without having known the facts, I would have thought that there were more, you know, more harassment and, and violence against Muslims in the post-9-11 era than against Jews. So it really is, I think, very telling. Yeah. Um, you know, because we... But, you know, you go back to the, the rally and, and uh, the problems at Charlottesville, Virginia, back in 2017. Mm -hmm. A lot of Americans forget, you know, we, we associate that with sort of racial violence. But what the marchers were chanting was Jews will not replace us, was anti-Semitic sentiments. The other thing that no one remembers that the marchers were chanting was blood and soil. Oh, right. So explain the significance of that. Blood and soil is one of the main themes in Nazi ideology. The idea of the purity of racial blood, the purity of, of the homeland. That, you know, these folks with their torches were, were yelling blood and soil and surrounding synagogues in Charlottesville so that the parishioners had to escape out the back door with their Torah scrolls. Um, people don't remember that. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot has happened since Charlottesville. Some of it good, but most of it, frankly, when it comes to anti-Semitism, not very good. 
So the city council in the District of Columbia passes this resolution. Yep. Um, how did that come about? And, and why did anybody think that a resolution would do some good? Well, you know, it's the first time that the D.C. Council has spoken out against anti-Semitism on its own in its history. Now, they have resolutions against racism. They've had resolutions against anti-Asian bias and other forms of hatred and bigotry. Uh, but anti-Semitism never really made the cut. And a lot of us felt, given what's going on in this country, and given the uh, important role that the District of Columbia plays uh, as a as a leader in fighting bigotry and you know the hate crimes stuff that happens here in Washington is is you know, government is terrific about it um, that it was time for the council to speak out and a number of us in the different organizations got together we met with different members of the council and I'm very proud to say uh, that the resolution was introduced by all 13 council members unanimously. Now, for those of your listeners who don't know this, several years ago, there was one of the city councilors, one of the D.C. councilors, um, gained a little bit of notoriety when he made the claim that the Rothschild family controls the weather. Uh, you know, that the Jews, you know, sort of that anti-Semitic trope of the Jews, you know, being, you know, behind everything. And this was a guy who, you know, probably heard it in his grandmother's house growing up. You know, it wasn't like he had sat down and researched and but this is just what he knew, because that's what, you know, has happened in his, you know, in his community. That's what he knew. And it was very difficult, uh, you know, when the organizations in the community tried to call him out on anti-Semitism. Um, it was not the easiest road. And here we are a couple of years later, and he is one of the 13 co-sponsors of this very good, thorough resolution about anti-Semitism. It was not, you know, just kind of a hazy, amorphous resolution. It's got a lot of meat in it. It's got a lot of good themes. And they unanimously approved it. How do you see a resolution like this making a contribution? Well, if government has a bully pulpit, whether they like it or not, people do listen to what leaders say. Uh, how they get that message out, whether it be through social media or through traditional media, um, the fact that the D.C. Council felt it necessary to make this statement and that it was reported, sends a message to people that anti-Semitism has no place in the district and that we need to shove the anti-Semites back into the margins of society from which they came, uh, that it is no longer socially acceptable uh, to be anti-Semitic. And that's important. Somebody has to say it. You observed a few moments ago how detailed, specific, comprehensive the statement was and how effective it is. I'm looking over it now. I mean, we could spend another entire show just kind of reading it and discussing it. But are there highlights of things that you're especially pleased that it focused on? You know, what you see is the the top couple of, of issues that maybe our listeners haven't really given much thought to. Well, the first thing that I was very happy to see is that it references and it recognizes uh, the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance working definition of anti-Semitism. A lot of people talk about anti-Semitism, but then when you ask them what it is, they can't really tell you. They can't define it. Um, what the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, we call it the IRA working definition, does is it lays out very clearly what is and what isn't anti-Semitism. What the IRA definition says basically is that anti-Semitism can be expressed as hatred of Jews, but not limited 
the hatred of Jews. It's the belief in the stereotypes. It's the inappropriately invoking uh, of Israel when it slips into anti-Semitism. It's uh, Holocaust denial. Uh, it's demonizing Jews. It's you don't have to hate Jews to think that they control the weather, right? But it's still anti-Semitism. Dire definition is great for that, and that the district recognize that definition, I think, is really important. Um, if that's one highlight right. of the resolution, I think that's the one that I would point to. You know, I function within the Christian community, and I'm tempted to see attitudes of stereotyping Jews in positive ways as also somehow anti-Semitic. Mm -hmm. The idea that, you know, I started out in the legal services office in Brooklyn, New York for the Jewish poor, mm -hmm. okay, which many people would regard as, as an oxymoron. But, uh, you know, the, the stereotyping of all Jews as brilliant or successful or wealthy or what have you, you know, that kind of irks me. I don't know if that fits should irk you. No. the <laughs> definition or not. It does, actually. Those statements are beliefs uh, in a conspiracy theory. And it's a conspiracy theory about Jews having power and influence. Um, you know, some people might think that's a good thing. Yeah, Jews are very powerful. They have a lot of influence. That's, that's great. Good on them. Once you buy into any of those stereotypes, and it can be, you know, Jews are fascinating. And anti-Semitism morphs uh, in every generation that you're in. So according to the, to the Nazis, we were vermin, but at the same time, we controlled the world. So anti-Semitism <laughs> punches up and it punches down, right? Right. It's, you know, we're both capitalists and communists at the same time during World War II. It's just whatever was handy for the anti-Semite, um, they use against the Jews. Alan, so, we're going to have to cut it here. And we're definitely going to have to bring you back for some more discussion. I'd be delighted. I've done a number of these shows about anti-Semitism, but this has really been a delight. Our, our guest today, Alan Ronkin, directs the D.C. office for the American Jewish Committee. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. <laughs>